That's uncertain Have you helped yourself to everything that's empty? Yeah. You can't live There's way too long There's more than this More than this Have you been standing on your own feet too long? been looking for a place where you belong you can Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Special welcome to you if you're new. Good to see you again if you're not. If you'd like to stand and worship with us. You're my broken body 
song is so charged with scripture and we're going to explore that a little bit more as we get into our time in the word uh, but uh, before we do let's go ahead and just have a seat and just like to welcome everyone here today glad you're with us glad you're with us online uh, gathering with us in spirit as the apostle Paul says and isn't it good to be part of the body of Christ especially in 2021 we have a space that is really the location of our identity, of our family, of our connection with God and with each other. And even though it is invisible in so many ways, it is very real and life-changing change, and game-changing. And I'm so glad to be a part of a family like this. And we have a 2,000-year-old tradition that has just been keeping this family going for an awfully long time that is so rich. And as we sang that song, it's, it comes from the book of Hebrews where it says, uh, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses or martyrs or people who have gone before us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So let's do that now as we begin our time in the word. Would you bow with me? Our Father, as we take this privileged moment and we sanctify it by just laying aside everything that is a care or a concern about the world that we're living in and the things that preoccupy our minds so much. And we just pray that as we retreat from the noise for just a minute, that you fill our hearts and our minds with your presence and with your word through your Holy Spirit and through the, the study of Scripture, that you help us, Father, to take all of the burdens that we have and cast them upon you because you care. We thank you, Father, that you are faithful, that your son was faithful to his calling, 
and we keep our eyes on him so that we may be faithful as well. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that as we gather that you have a timely word for us, both in the music that we hear, the songs that we sing, the word that we break open, and especially the cup and the loaf uh, that reminds us of who we are in you. We invite you into our presence and we ask that you just sanctify this moment. Help our lives, help our lives together as families to have you at the center. And whatever it is that we face uh, in the, the world of 2021, we know that we are anchored and established in you. And it's all because of our Lord Jesus. So we worship you today, Lord, as we surrender our attention and this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if, um, if you guys have ever been around little kids, or you've had some of your own, you know that there are occasions where in their rambunctiousness, you lose sight of them. And it is just a thing. And you just wonder sometimes if it's only by the grace of God that kids actually make it through childhood and teenagerdom alive. And I've got stories after stories of losing kids and finding them again. But the most traumatic experience I ever had was when we were at Six Flags in St. Louis. And it was a summer day when everybody was there. And everybody was at the, uh, at the pool part, which was a great big, huge wave pool. And there were literally thousands of people in the park. And we had brought, um, of course, myself and my wife and uh, Mayim and Christian and Stephen. And Stephen, who has a sense of adventure that has been baked into him from the beginning, decided it was time to go look, and look around. And when you have crowds of people in a, in, in, a, in a place like an amusement park, and a kid disappears, if that doesn't provoke a wave of panic, I don't know what does. And as soon as I looked and I saw that he just one second ago was right there, and now all I see are strange people. You know that feeling, don't you? You start to escalate. The anxiety starts to well up. You look to your wife and you say, um, how did you lose him like that? And, of course, I'd never say that, but I certainly thought it. And as uh, we did uh, basically uh, a search for him in the crowd and, and, and in trying to find, uh, uh, you know, where it was that he might possibly go to, we... We, we pursued a lot of a d different options, and for about 15 minutes, we're just getting tunnel vision of fear and stress and anxiety and worry, and it is, uh, it is not a good feeling. It is actually traumatic. Well, we kind of reconnoitered after about 15 minutes back to the spot where we were, and I turned and I looked where he went missing, and there he was. <laughs> I don't know exactly what happened, and he didn't have a clear answer as to why he disappeared, but he certainly wasn't worried. And, you know, we're thinking the worst. You know, each minute you're thinking, oh, my goodness, he's been abducted. Oh, my goodness, they're driving, you know, out of here in a van. You know, you're just totally going into that space. And it is probably a common and universal experience, isn't it? I mean, who doesn't have a story of losing a kid. And I think whenever you read the opening uh, words of the Gospel of Luke, you find that it's very easy for us, isn't it, to get a sense that God knows so much about what we are going through because he himself went through all of these things in his experience here on earth. And if he didn't, uh, in the sense of, of Jesus' life, he definitely put his parents through it. And I love the opening chapters of the book of Luke as we're exploring it because there is just so much there that tells you and I how it is that we can become followers of Jesus. And if I just had a mantra for 2021 
or going through the book of Luke, it would be, it would be this. Hey, let's follow Jesus because that's essentially what Luke is helping us to do is to discover how to follow him. And the place that we're going to follow him into today is the temple. But before he goes there, uh, we find that Luke is sort of setting us up to appreciate what we're getting ready to read by telling us that when Jesus was a small boy, he began to grow. But not only like any, in, any boy that, uh, uh, that we might imagine, but he was on track uh, to becoming who he would be called to be at age 30. Uh, and so it's, the scripture tells us in Luke chapter 2, verses uh, 39 and 40, uh, that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. There was something going on in Jesus' life that was developmental in nature. And Rich and I were talking about this yesterday. How is it that Jesus can be fully God and fully man, and still be developing into a man and into God. It is sort of, sort of a mystery, isn't it? But we get that sense that what Jesus is, is, is demonstrating through the course of his life is a posture toward life that says, this is how you do it. This is how you follow the way of the Father. And I think it's really cool because we tend to think of Jesus as, well, he's different. And the things that he does and the things that he can do is different than your life and mine. But what Luke wants us to understand is he was just like any other kid, except for the fact, of course, that his father was the heavenly father. And so he wasn't tainted by sin like we are. But still, he had to grow up. He had to face challenges. He had to learn. He had to discover. And as he did, he grew in wisdom and in stature. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, we'll take a quick look at Luke chapter 2, verses um, uh, 41 and following. And we, we can put that up on the screen. And here we read, um, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Did you catch that? The boy Jesus said, uh, I'm not going. <laughs> Any parents ever had their kids say, I'm not going? I think I just triggered a bunch of you, didn't I? So... Uh, he said, I'm not going. But they were unaware of it, of course. And thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. So this is what happened. They're in a group of people, probably as travel in that day would occur, their strength in numbers. And so there was a cohort of people, many of them probably relatives and maybe very close friends, and they are traveling a pretty long way to the city of Jerusalem for this festival. And you know how it is when you got, you're traveling, and just think home alone for a second if you, if you, if you don't get it. And, and so as they, they leave, and it's, they're, they're a day into it, um, this is what happens. They're like, it's not where's Kevin, but where's Jesus? And we've lost Jesus. And then Mary's probably thinking, yeah, we've lost the Son of God. And so it's a, it's a scary moment. And so it takes them a day to get back. So there's two days. And then as we're reading this, um, when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, which means that they spent another day going throughout the city of Jerusalem and probably around the temple complex looking for this boy, knocking on doors, asking anyone that, uh, that, 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 that would even speak to them, have you seen this boy? He looks, he looks uh, like, like this. And, and um, to no avail. So... How many hours are in three days? 72? Is that right? 72 hours. No kid. Just imagine. And I'm sure they had their same issues back then as we do now. But finally they find him. 
of all places in the temple courts, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them, and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when the parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. You almost hear an echo of wait till your father gets home. And then Jesus says this, why were you searching for me? I mean, it's almost like he's changing the whole framework of the question. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? So all of a sudden, there's a deeper issue on the table, and that is the awareness that Jesus has that even though his parents have lost him for 72 hours, there's something much more important in play in his life that he's starting to pay attention to. And as it occurs, um, they didn't understand what he was saying to them. I mean, they've had him for 12 years. They know the story of the miraculous birth. They know about the angels and all of that. But you know how time has a way of just kind of diminishing the significance of certain things in, in our lives? We tend to kind of forget, don't we? And you wonder sometimes if these guys are saying, yeah, we know the, this is an important um, uh, responsibility that we have, but day in and day out, raising a kid who's obviously not always doing exactly what they want them to do, but always doing what the father wants them to do. Um, it, it's, it's, it, if you've ever been in a marriage where there's been a, a, a separation and a remarriage and you've got maybe two sets of parents or three parents involved trying to make a decision about what's going to be the outcome of, of uh, the, that, that child's day, you know the complexity of how things can get sort of turned around or how you're competing uh, one set of parents with another. And actually, this is sort of one of those things. And Jesus is obviously responsible as a Jewish person, according to the law, to obey his parents. But he's also responsible to hear the voice of the Father and follow him. And at this point, there's a conflict. And this is really where it gets interesting, doesn't it? Where the allegiances that we have to our parents shift to our allegiance that we have to God. And don't get me wrong. If you're a kid, you should obey your parents for sure. Uh, that is a responsibility. And we obey our parents and, of course, I have my moments. I told my mom I'm not going to grandma's house when I was 15. And I was defiant. But I was getting to be the age where I'm thinking, I'm making my own decisions about my own life, and I'm not going. And then I saw my mom do something that she rarely did. She burst into tears, and then I'm like, oh, crying out loud. Now I can't even enjoy not going. So, you know, there's the conflict right there. But Jesus is really showing that that transition is happening in his life because for a Jewish boy at age 12, he is entering into that space where the age of accountability is being recognized, that he is actually at age 13 officially accountable. He's accountable for his understanding of the word of God. He's accountable for his life before God. Uh, it's in the eyes of a Jewish person, he's, he's responsible now. He now is aware. And we think about kids getting baptized at certain ages, and a lot of times as a pastor I'm asking the question, is, is this young person aware of what it is that they are being called to do? Or are they doing it because everybody else is doing it, or their parents are saying, you need to do this? And that's essentially where Jesus is at. He's at a defining moment in his life, and he's aware enough as he's grown in wisdom and stature to see 
that God is beginning to show him what it looks like. God is beginning to take that faith that was his parents' faith and bake it into his life. You know, with my kids, my, and I think we all have this prayer, don't we? That when our kids get out on their own, that they still worship and value God. That they have seen enough in our lives as parents to say, those are qualities that I, I want to have in my life. Those are habits and routines that I want to have because I've been blessed by having parents who have honored God. Now, none of us are perfect in that for sure. But what we, what we do hope is that there will come a day when their faith, which is really kind of their parents' faith, actually becomes their own. And I love to see that happen when young people start making decisions about life that are are made from the backdrop of their understanding of who God is. And that really is wisdom, isn't it? And even in the moment that we're in right now, you know, my, my son keeps telling me, the one, you know, the one that I lost in uh, Six Flags a number of years ago, uh, the one who I had a hard time letting get behind the wheel of a car and saying, okay, you are now responsible for this vehicle and the lives of every person that you meet on the road. And as he gets, and all of them have gone to an age where they are now getting to be their own person, you just hope that the greatest responsibility of all, and that is who they are in the eyes of the Lord and how they relate to a crazy world that they're going to be living in, you hope that they're responsible in that. So when Jesus is at the temple and Luke says at the beginning of this passage that he grew in wisdom and stature. I got to think that what Jesus is doing is kind of what we all do. If you were to take wisdom for a second and say, what is wisdom? What was that word? It, it, it basically, in my definition is, I do something and it either works or doesn't work in a good way or a bad way. And then after I do it, I kind of figure out what happened there, and I understand it. And especially if it has a, 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 a quality to that experience that will either make me a better person or the people around me uh, better people or strengthens the relationship that I have with them. If I learn from that and I say, oh, this is what I need to do that is good and probably from God, that's wisdom. I've just kind of reflected on what I've done in a, in a life situation. And I've said, this is, this is the way that I need to handle that. This is God's way. And if you read the book of Proverbs, you find that it is a book about wisdom as a theme. And essentially, it is just a ground-level description of things you do and things you don't do that will either work for your life and for your benefit it will take away stuff from your life and basically dehumanize you. And you hope and you pray as a parent that your kids will grow up experiencing life and not repeating the same mistake over and over and over, but rather making mistakes, learning from them, and discovering wisdom in the process. That's essentially what... I think Luke is saying when Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. And I believe that when he's at the temple, he's taking the summation of 12 years of life here on earth, and he's asking the religious leaders questions about those 12 years, about the things that he's learned in those 12 years, and how it has bearing on his understanding of who God is. And it's just a process of developing that Luke doesn't leave out. All the other gospel writers say, we don't want to include this in here because it's not for our purpose. But Luke said, this is critical. Because like all of us, our lives are storied. When we look at our kids as their infants, don't we wonder 
what is this child going to be like when they get to be my age? And I think that's a God wonder because there's something else that kicks in that says, I want to do everything that I can to help them become who they need to be. And I believe Joseph and Mary definitely bundled routines and practices and habits into their lives that reinforced that desire that he had. They were chosen for a purpose. And as Jesus is taking this moment, retreating from all the noise of the festivity and the travel and everything else, and he's just having this conversation with teachers, pushing the pause button on life for just a minute or two or 10 or a whole day, and asking some pretty deep questions about where his life needs to be going. I think it was clarifying, and I think Luke put that there to say he's going through that differentiation process that all kids go through. Do you know what I mean when I say that? All of us, myself included, and whenever I was a kid, they would always say, yeah, you go through a stage of rebellion where you're rebelling against your parents. And the Amish have a word called rumspringa where their, their kids, you know, they just, they become all English like us. You know, they, they drive, they get in the buggy, they go into town, they change their clothes and English clothes, they go hang out at the bar or they go to the dance hall and they carry on and they just have a, you know, wild time. And then almost all of them come back to their community at the end of the run springa, sort of different. Like, we're here because we want to be here. We're here because we are kind of our own person now. And when kids rebel against their parents, it's kind of their way of pushing them away so that they can sort of discover who they are and who they need to be and who they want to be, what their identity is apart from them. All that stuff is going on in Jesus' life. And you see him pushing away from his parents. And you think, well, Jesus, you're not honoring your parents. Well, he's in a space where he, he has been honoring them and he will continue to honor them. But he's also in a space where he's starting to discover that my purpose is beginning to emerge and I have to walk into it. And for a parent, that's a hard thing. Let's be honest. And can you imagine how Joseph felt when Jesus said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? I mean, let's just be honest. You spend 12 years raising a child, even if it's not your biological child, you're going to bond with that child, right? And if you're not a little bit jealous, even though it's God the Father, you're just not a human being. I truly believe that. But obviously, we step back and we say, yeah, but this is the right thing. This is what is supposed to happen. This is his calling. And some of you guys are at an age where you haven't gotten there yet. Some of you are right at that space where you're starting to ask that question. And others of you may be a parent like myself, and you're, you're, you're thinking, um, my kids are now making their own decisions. And sometimes they're following other mentors who take up the space that you once occupied. You know, and I have a kid right now that is actually <laughs> not even in the United States. He's in, um, he's in the Republic of Georgia. And some of you are thinking, maybe he's just trying to get as far away from you as he possibly can. Well, I'd like to not think that, um, but I, I honestly believe that we have a good sense of rapport because we basically, when we talk, which is usually every weekend, we talk about what God is calling him to do. He has my blessing. The thing about this story, though, that is so critical for us to take away 
is it is the beginning of what Luke says are a series of necessary things that he has to do. Because as we read this, he said, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? And that's one translation that other Bibles use, house or business. And I've kind of dug into that a little bit. And basically what he's saying is, my father has a redemptive plan, and I'm a part of it. And this is the moment that I'm called to fulfill that part of it. The word in the Greek is actually, it is necessary that I'm about my father's business. And 12 times Luke will use through the whole storyline moments where he'll say, it was necessary, it was necessary, it was necessary. Including necessary to preach the gospel, necessary to be betrayed, necessary to be crucified, and necessary for the Son of Man to do all these things according to Scripture as he uses that phrase in Luke 24 to the two people on the road to Emmaus who are saying, you've been gone for three days. Three days. We have wondered, where are you? Why did you leave us? And you can almost hear the echo back 30, not quite well, 33 minus 12 years. Where are you? Why did you leave us? And Luke's very intentional about bookending the resurrection and the calling of Jesus, the beginning, the beginning movement of the calling of Jesus to ministry. And everything else is just a way of unfolding that. Why is this important? Let me just bring it down to the ground level for a second and bring it to an end. It is important because you know it and I know it that we are living in a moment of strange weirdness. And let's just be blunt. This is a confusing moment. Does anybody know, can anybody tell me what's going to happen next week? Are a lot of people weighing in on what's going to happen next week? Are there a lot of possible scenarios about what can happen next week? I mean, I've never seen people so fractured in their ability to understand what is happening around them as I do right now. I mean, the confusion is running rampant. And if you're not tethered to the things of the Lord, it can't be good. That space in between your ears cannot be a happy place right now. And so what we want to do in this series on Luke is to just simplify all of the noise down to one thing. And that is looking at Jesus and following him through this whole thing, wherever he leads. If you were with us last week, we talked about the things that Jesus did in his life to show you and I how it is that we can live a life in response to a strange and bizarre world. And there were five habits. And these aren't just any habits, but by Charles Duhigg's definition of the power of habit, these are keystone habits that basically say, if you do this habit, it will actually have a rippling effect on the rest of your, uh, of your existence. And, you know, I, I don't know if I mentioned last week, but, but my wife uh, took up, because she used to go to the Y all the time, and they, you know, they kind of shut her program down. So a friend invited her to do workouts up in Austintown uh, with her at this gym. And she goes there, and she came back with a pair of purple boxing gloves. I'm like, Amanda, I, I didn't know you were a violent person, first of all. But then, I, but then I thought, 
she's learning to box. I never thought I'd see her doing that. I said, did you know that was inside of you? And she said, no, but I really like it. I mean, she likes to punch the bag. And she's telling me about roundhouses and all these different punching techniques. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here thinking, how can I protect myself? <laughs> but what has been so cool about this is it has had... So, so I asked her, I said, have you really enjoyed that? And she said, yeah, I just, I, I feel great. But there's something else that she's been doing that I'm just going to brag about her a little bit. And she's like, please don't talk about me in your sermons ever again. So please pray for me afterwards that I can fix this. But she's been going through the, uh, the Bible from the Bible Project every night. And she's going through the Old Testament and the New Testament at the same time, two different readings at the same time. And I asked her last night, I said, you think it, I said, your sense of well-being is just so much better than I've seen in such a long time. I said, is there a connection, do you think, between what you're doing physically to kind of stay healthy and what you're doing spiritually to keep your mind tuned to God? And she says, absolutely. When I, when, I, when I don't do one, the other one is affected. When I don't do the other, the other one is affected. When I do them both, it seems like it's a force multiplier. My whole life is impacted in a positive way. That's a keystone habit. Those are two keystone habits that just have a disproportionate amount of influence on her life. And what I like about it is it really, it really echoes with Jesus' keystone habits. And if you statistically went through all the things that you see Jesus doing in all four Gospels, you find that he does five things. And the first one is he's committed to community. He chooses three, then 12, then 72, and he hangs out with them during the whole time of his ministry. He doesn't just do it alone as a one-man show. The second thing that he does is he spends time in the Word. And so if you look at the red letters of Scripture define, describing the actual words of Jesus, one out of ten of them have a reference to the Old Testament. So he's saturating himself in the Word of God. And then when you think about prayer, repeatedly the Scripture says he took time alone or away to be in prayer. So he's committed to prayer. That's the third habit. And the fourth habit is simply um, it says repeatedly that he retreated from the crowds and I take that to mean in the in the digital era retreated from the noise retreated from the noise so that whatever is happening intentionally inside here it's giving God time to speak giving us time to listen And there's nothing like going through the day having that awareness that you spent time speaking to and listening to the Lord. Because what do we do otherwise? We get up and we just react. Oh, the weather's pretty crappy. I'll just say that. Sorry, maybe I crossed the line here. But... um that then you're like, okay, and now I'm just reacting to my whole day, and everything that happens in the course of the day is just me reacting to what happens. There's another person in my house, that's all he does, is react to what's happening. He's got four legs. He can be as upset or tired or whatever state, but as soon as I go to the refrigerator, he's up and he says, game on. He's just responding. Animals do stimulus and response. People that grow in wisdom and stature take time to cultivate keystone habits. So the day doesn't control them because that's actually not written in the first part of the book. The day is here to control you, Adam and Eve. No, you are here Take everything that I've given you that is good and creatively manage it 
in a way that develops you and develops it and everything else. You are in control. Only answerable to me. That intention has never left. And Jesus is basically saying, I've had to reset it as the second Adam. Follow me. And I'll show you the way. So the fifth keystone habit, if we want to put that, that white slide up there about the keystone habits, let's go ahead and do that. A habit that people introduce into their lives that unintentionally carries over into other aspects of their lives. And then these are Jesus' five keystone habits, if we can just have you plug those in. Should be another white slide alongside there somewhere. Um, these are these are actually not the one. This is not. Try try the other slide. You can. My bad. Yeah, that one there. Thanks. Okay. That's them. The other one you saw is sort of a teaser for what's coming, but that is essentially what Jesus did. And finally, he habitually chose church. He was, always in the he was always in the temple or he was in the synagogue. Church was a space physically that had the, the community of people that gathered physically and spiritually that something came alive at that unfortunately can't happen in your home in all the various ways that it's supposed to happen. And it's awesome. And Church is the place that Jesus said changes me and changes everything. Well, those are the habits that we're hoping that we can begin to take on in our own lives. Exactly one month from today, we're going to launch a 40-day campaign centered on those five habits. And hopefully, if you're like, in that space where I've kind of been in some ways, kind of lagging behind, or maybe the habits have changed, and I want to get my head and my relationships and my walk with the Lord dialed into that space that God calls me to live in, especially in the moment that we're living in, so that I can be the person that I'm called to be as Jesus was the person that he was called to be. The last thing that Luke says in this chapter are these words. We can just jump back to Luke chapter 2 uh, at the end of the verses. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew Again, in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. What he was working on internally began to have an impact on who he was relationally. Both in the horizontal relationship with each other and in that vertical relationship with the Father. I'll just say this aside for moms. How many of you moms have ever captured a moment where your kid said something or did something and you're like, I'll never forget that. Now, I won't, I won't tell on my kids. I'll just tell on my niece because we did go see the movie Home Alone uh, when it came out. Uh, my, my wife, uh, myself, her sister, her three kids, we went and we saw it. We came back, we ordered pizza, the guy delivered it, and my, my little niece said, keep the change, you filthy animal. <laughs> and I will never forget that. I just treasure that in my heart. And she's not even... But she did call my wife yesterday and say, um, I think I'm going to have to wear maternity clothes now because I'm starting to swell. 
And you saw I'd hear that conversation, I'd be like, oh, boy, I don't want to hear that. But I was like, oh, that is so good. I'm so excited for her to have this kid and experience that joy. I want you to savor that for a second. Because that is exactly what God is trying to do in your life and mine. And sometimes it's our adult life before we become that child of his. And if I could just be a midwife, as unmanly as that sounds spiritually for you, and there's a lot of men actually here who would jump at that chance to become a part of his family and to just start growing in your relationship with him. We want to help you do that. And if you're already there, we want to help you reset maybe what you've lost during the last year and get in that space where your father has joy and we have joy. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Are your eyes fixed on him? Because we need him, and we need to follow him. He is the only way. And God, I think, is allowing circumstances to occur in such a way that it's becoming obvious that we don't have a lot of choices here. And that's not a bad thing. Choose him or choose chaos. Because that's really what sin and darkness and hell really is. God loves us too much to keep us there. And he did what it required by allowing his son to die on a bloodstained cross to break the curse, to make to, to, to pay the price, and to give us an opportunity to be set free. Can't explain any more than that right now, but I just want you to know if you're living in chaos of the hellish things that are happening around you, Jesus will set you free. And he will give you not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. He's the only source for that. And it's readily available through his grace. And we're here to offer it. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, I just pray that the things that we have described according to your word are in concert with your purposes for us today. For those who are gathering online, I pray that you will, would have spoken to us in a way that speaks to our situation personally and individually. Lord, I know that there are those who are gathering who just need a word of encouragement to say, am I on the right track following you? And I just ask that you just deepen their confidence and their trust that you are the right way. And I pray for those who are stuck in darkness and in chaos and in fear with seemingly no way out, that you would show those amongst us who are in that space that there is a way, and the way is Jesus. Lord Jesus, work in our hearts to respond to your call as a body work in our hearts to see that response at work in those around us and then give us the strength father to be your people in a dark time and i ask these things in jesus name amen come to communion this morning had a couple things that I did want to say that that changed as I listened to the sermon and I want to take off on a couple of those things if I can I read a quote this morning before we left for church and 
I thought it summed up a lot of where we're at and what we need to focus on. And it said very simply this. Life is like a book. Where we're at right now is one chapter of that book. And how that book ends is what we decide to do and what we decide to believe and who we decide to follow. I think that we've all... We all believe that God is in charge. And if we don't, see Leonard later. Um, But God is in charge. The difficulty that we have, and I think sometimes where we stumble, is that I believe God does not always take charge. I believe as Christians... God has allowed us that free will. And the problem that we have is when God doesn't act or respond the way we want him to respond in the timeline that we want him to respond. And for me, we need to look at the faith we have. Do you really believe that God is in charge? If you really believe that Jesus was born in a manger, that Jesus went through speaking in the temple, if you believe that Jesus was crucified on the cross and rose again, then we have to believe that God has a plan for each and every one of us. And patience what we, what 90% of us lack will get us there. We need to believe. Communion offers us the opportunity to declare our allegiance to Christ and our obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together. We thank you for the message this morning and the way it has touched our hearts. We thank you for the scripture and the meaning it gives to life. We pray that as we partake of these emblems this morning, that it would renew our spirit, that it would renew our faith, and that it would renew our perseverance for life. Father, may we know that things happen in your time, not in ours. We thank you for the blessings of life and for the opportunities to serve that have been given to us through your love. We ask all of these things in your wonderful name. Stand up.
quick announcements. Uh, giving statements are available. Um, offering envelopes are available. Um, I think we're, were they doing like a request? Thing? I think if your name's not out there, I th contact the office um, and we can get you some. Um, number three, uh, yeah, digging deeper. We started that last week. It was pretty great. We're going to do it again today and every week for the foreseeable future. So if you want, you can stretch, go get a drink or something, but just going to keep going. Um, and then devotional yoke. Sorry. Uh, last week, uh, there were people online who couldn't hear questions or comments, so we'll pass the mic around this week. And you who are joining us at home, um, you can, if you have questions or comments as well, you can go to our YouTube page, um, which you're probably watching, which you're watching on, and you can leave a question or comment there, and we'll try to get to it um, at the end of the digging deeper. Yep. And then uh, devotional yoga. Uh, Thursday the 21st at 6.30. Uh, they meet in Fellowship Hall, which is the big room down in the back over there. It's free. Um, says you don't need anything. You want to say anything else? No. That good? All right. Just show up and ready to feel the burn. But uh, hope you all have a nice week.